Welcome back to Food Systems Podcast from the Forum for the Future of Agriculture. My name is Mark Titterington. I'll be your host uh, for today's session and delighted to have with us uh, Steve Statler, Chief Marketing Officer of Williot um, and also host of the Mr. Beacon podcast. Um, today, we're going to be talking about food traceability relevant in the context of the Food Safety Modernization Act. Um, but also doubtless of interest to our listeners here in Europe, given the forthcoming European Union sustainable food law. Steve, great to have you with us. Mark, it's, uh, it's a privilege. Just want to start, Steve, by, you know, food traceability is very much one of the topics of the day uh, in food system and food system transformations. Now, why do you think it's got so so much importance attached to it? Well, I think it's always been important. Um, there's been uh, a convergence of uh, regulatory compliance, uh, which is kind of the stick. Uh, but the, the the carrot has been uh, a, a desire for uh, this industry to build trust. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, we, we've been through waves of, uh, of, of crises as um, inevitably uh, there are contamination issues, people get sick, and then that impacts demand. Uh, I, I think there's also been a sprinkling of uh, thought leaders and idealists that have wanted to kind of raise the bar and uh, and gain some competitive advantage and add to their brand that kind of higher quality, uh, proven, trusted brand. So I think it's really a, a combination of uh, let's make sure the demand uh, stays, uh, let's stay the right side of the, the legislative landscape, and then there's a competitive element in there as well. Now, you talked a little bit in there about the the, the stick, the regulatory stick, um, perhaps. And, you know, we, as you rightly say, we've got the, the Food Safety Modernization Act as the, the catalyst or the stimulant for our discussion today. You know, for, for our European listeners, just say a little bit more about um, what you think that is and the role it'll play. And then let's get into the implications of that for the agri-food industry, um, including, you know, from our perspective, the farmers and the ranchers. Yeah, so uh, I think this um, the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, uh, implemented and and passed some years back uh, a uh, the Food Safety Modernization Act, uh, Section two hundred four specifically focuses on traceability, and at its heart, it's pretty simple. Uh, uh, it's uh, a move to uh, give a unique identifier, a, a traceability lock code that uh, starts off in the farm, uh, actually maps to a field, uh, uh, and then flows through in a chain with, with a series of handoffs uh, in the supply chain uh, all the way to the retailer. So uh, batches of, of product will be given a unique ID, um, a, a traceability lock code. Uh, there'll be a source ID that says where it comes from, and then as the uh, as the produce flows up the supply chain, uh, there'll be records kept, uh, and there's an obligation to give the FDA in the event of a, a food crisis or or them asking um, a spreadsheet that basically goes one up, one down. Uh, you know, where did you get it from? Where did you give it to? Uh, the quantity, the description, and the identity of uh, of a lot that applies not to every food, but there's a certain set of foods that are on the on the list so the fda is actually not covering meat and milk but it does cover eggs and cucumbers and uh, uh, some sorts of cheeses uh, and that list has been put together uh, based on the a risk factor so they i think uh, 
you know, in this country, in this in in the states, there's a a creative tension between the people that want to legislate and the people that want to have kind of free market. And the way they uh, they got the um, uh, FISMA rule through was to say it's not going to be for everything. Uh, it's just going to be for the higher risk items where there's been a track record where the issues have uh, existed. But there's a very specific deadline. So we're in a status where there's a final ruling. Um, so this is not uh, something that's changing. It's uh, it's done. It's documented. It's written, and there's a deadline, uh, which is uh, Tuesday, January the twentieth, twenty twenty six, when everybody, uh, whether you're a farmer, uh, a distributor, a packer, uh, or um, uh, a fast food restaurant, or or, or a grocer, uh, everyone needs to be ready. Uh, uh, and and basically, we have twenty four hours to uh, to give a spreadsheet that has the traceability information that uh, that I just described to the FDA if they should uh, request it. So it's definitely very specific. Um, it doesn't cover everything. Uh, but, you know, ironically, um, you know, even though this may have been a give in the give to get but in, in the legislative negotiations, um, it, it's proving to be pretty complicated for especially people at the end of the supply chain, uh, the grocers, to figure out what's covered, what's not covered. And you've got a bunch of uh, minimum wage employees that are working in the middle of the night. They're not going to be saying, oh, that's a hard cheese. I don't need to worry about that. But soft cheese, I do. So uh, it's effectively driving us towards a future where our food supply chain is tracked and traced. And there's a digital identity, uh, a digital passport, and a, a unique ID for for everything that's uh, flowing up and down that chain. I, I do want to come back, Steve, to to where this this might go, both in in not just in terms of food safety, but potentially sustainability attributes are, around crops. I, I I plan that in your mind, maybe to, to to come back to in a second. Yes. Before we go there, um, I mean, you've argued, um, you know, n- not on your own, but there's n- maybe not not everyone sees this as an opportunity. You have said you think this is an opportunity for the agri-food industry. Why, why do you believe that? I think it is. Uh, I mean, everyone wants to do the right thing. No one wants to make people sick. Everyone wants to manage risk. But it's really hard to, it's really hard for the industry to act uh, especially if you think, well, I'm going to invest this. There's an opportunity cost. There's a capital cost, and uh, you know maybe my competitor won't. Uh, and so that's a real um, break on on doing the right thing. Uh, you know, early uh, in my career, I before I joined Williot, um, which you know is an IoT company, I was consulting uh, with uh, companies that wanted to use Bluetooth uh, identifiers. Uh, And uh, one of the companies I was uh, doing work for um, was in the food, in the spices, herbs and spices business. And there was a young uh, uh, heir apparent, uh, the son of the founder, and he wanted to move the company forward and start tracking and tracing everything, people, tools, uh, raw materials, finished goods. And even for the son of the founder, it was really hard because, uh, you know, there were the voices of reason within the company that said, look, we can't afford to do this. We don't have to do it. Uh, People don't really value it. So I think there's some, you know, uh, the legislation sets uh, a level playing field uh, and it raises the bar for everyone at the same time. And so it's not going to be a competitive disadvantage. But what it will do is drive new platforms where where people can uh, you know relatively easily go beyond 
simply uh, uh, identity tracking to um, uh, doing other things. You know, we're, we're focused on, uh, we, we uh, Williot, the company I work for, we have these tiny postage stamp size compute devices. Uh, they cost pennies and they can measure temperature. So one of the reasons we're excited about this is that we uh, think that we, once people have the platform, they can use the platform for cold chain tracking, for looking at the temperature history, which can do reduce waste, which is in everyone's interest, that can um, uh, improve the product quality. So it looks better on the uh, in the store and uh, there's uh, you know better conversion rates. Um, uh, and it increases shelf life, uh, so everyone is happier. So, you know, our hope is that when this platform's in place, people can use it for cold chain, but also for carbon uh, tracing. And, um, you know, I think uh, given the European uh, backdrop to to this as well, uh, th there's new rules around uh, provenance uh, tracking, showing that your food is not uh, coming from an area which has been clear cut. So I think if we can get this platform in place, there's a lot of really cool things we can do uh, that will benefit everyone, uh, producers, uh, consumers, uh, everyone up and down the, the food chain. Would love to to get into that a little bit bit more with you. Just just again from our, our for your our European listeners and thinking about how our traceability approach might evolve here. Um, I mean, you touched on on potentially one of the risks to the food companies is being able to differentiate between the hard and soft cheese at the at the end of end of the line. You know, are there other risks, and what are the penalties for for non compliance? Are there any? Yeah, I mean, potentially the FDA has a very big stick uh, uh, that they can apply. Uh, they control the food licenses that are required to do business. You know, they're they're I think being very um, uh, you know they're not uh, being threatening. Um, but that's uh, they certainly have the ability to uh, to impose fines, uh, uh, increase uh, inspections. So there's and there's also you know reputational risk. Uh, you know, as as a vendor, one one of the things uh, that I look at is you know will people just pay lip service to this and basically say you know this is impossible, it's too difficult, we're not going to do it, and so you know everyone uh, spins their their wheels and uh, puts a lot of effort into something that ultimately isn't adopted. But this you know appears to be very uh, serious, uh, and as I talk to some of the largest. Uh, companies in the world, who are our customers, and I've asked them point blank, uh, you know, do you think you have to do this? Uh, is this something where you can kind of wait and see? Um, but really, there isn't the time to do this. You know, uh, we've got less than three years. Uh, some of our customers have thousands of stores, you know, uh, 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 you know well over 5,000 stores. And really, that means they have to start now and they can't take the risk uh, of, um, you know, wait and see, because if their competitor ends up complying and, you know, they've uh, said, oh, it's not going to happen, um, then, you know, that does a number of things. It makes them look really bad in terms of the, uh, the FDA. It makes them look really bad uh, in terms of the consumer's view. Uh, and the thing that I hadn't really thought about is that the industry gets wired uh, by their competitors and to, around their processes and and procedures and there's still you know a lot of things that need to be uh, be sorted out in terms of how you implement the law the law is actually very high level it doesn't um, prescribe some of the nitty-gritty details and so uh, there's still some uh, 
competitive advantage to uh, trying to get everyone to comply with the approach you want to take versus that that your competitor wants. So let, let's talk a little bit then, you've touched on it already about the role that, that technology plays, the, the, the role of, of, of your company as well, but both mm-hmm. both now and how do you see the technology evolving um, that will not only enable adaptation compliance with um, the, the Food Safety Modernization Act um, in this specific way, but, but other ways, as we talked about, you mentioned carbon, sustainability attributes and, and so forth. I think our listeners would be interested in that. Yeah. Um, well, the the law, um, as as it's uh, defined here in the states, does not prescribe any particular technology. Even the uh, this uh, ID that goes and follows a, a batch of spinach from the field into the store, uh, you can identify it in uh, any format that you wish. But there are specific standards. Uh, the GS1, um, which which obviously is is tremendously pervasive around the world, uh, defines the UPCs that we use uh, uh, and the barcodes that we use to identify products. It seems like the um, global trade identification number uh, serial GTIN is kind of the winner in that war, although you can use other things, UUIDs and other things to identify. But that's just the data. You know, what is the carrier is really the question. How do I... Um, do I use a printed barcode? That's obviously cheapest. You know, we've uh, everyone's got a printer somewhere, or they can get them at a relatively low cost. Do you use um, RFID, the radio frequency identifier tags that uh, have really caught on in this country in the apparel business, but less so in the food business? Uh, or do you, do you use this next wave of technology, which is the one that we're proponents of, which is uh, ambient IoT? Uh, you know, ambient IoT is essentially um, the radio frequency radio, radio frequency identifier, the RFID tag, taken to the next level, where you have uh, computing and sensing and security and encryption, uh, and basically the, the the infrastructure. Rather than having to have a a thousand uh, two thousand dollar handheld reader, you can use low cost Bluetooth devices. So there's some technology decisions that need to be made. And I think all of those choices, you know, completely manual barcodes, RFID, or ambient IoT, they all have uh, um, their their pros and cons. The thing that I think is going to be a big swinger, and I think the reason why ambient IoT will ultimately prevail is not only the capital costs of the equipment being lower, um, uh, but also um, an opportunity to automate. Um, so with uh, barcode scanners and QR code scanners, you need to track things at a case level. You can't just take a, a rolling cage uh, with a tag and scan it. That's not granular enough because that rolling cage could have different, you know, it could have cucumbers and it could have lettuce and it could have spinach. So you really need to unpack things uh, in the store. Uh, in order to scan them. And that's not what most large supermarkets do at the moment. They kind of have a bill of laden. They have uh, uh, an advanced shipping notice. They basically get told what they're being given and they kind of trust you. Uh, Not to say they don't occasionally check, uh, but the stores simply don't have uh, two people on call 24 hours a day to scan in everything with handheld scanners. And so we think that having uh, these Bluetooth readers that cost um, you know, a few tens of dollars uh, sprinkled around the store is the way to go because you can automate 
uh, and and scan in things without having to hire a bunch of extra people. And you know, once you've got that infrastructure in place, then your inventory tracking goes uh, improves. So that's a lot better if you're fighting the omni-channel wars and you need to have better inventory accuracy so that when people buy online, pick up in store, buy online and have deliveries, you've actually got real data uh, that's actually been scanned rather than um, kind of the assumed data which the industry has been working on before. So I really think that FISMA, food safety generally, will be a driver to a level of um, uh, visibility. You know, they, the, 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 the consumers of our customers call this a visibility platform. Real-time visibility is kind of will be the table stakes and people will have the infrastructure and it'll be very helpful uh, in, in many other things. So I, I think that all three approaches will be taken. Obviously, we're a proponent of, uh, of the next generation. And, you know, one of the things that's interesting about Ambient IoT, uh, at the moment, it's all about Bluetooth, but there are a bunch of standards coming out from um, the uh, industry bodies, uh, 3GPP is one, and the IEEE is another. So those are the industry bodies that uh, set the standards for 5G and 6G, uh, the cellular standards, and also Wi-Fi. And they're all uh, bringing out their own ambient IoT standards. And so we are seeing this kind of wave of technology that is coinciding with uh, some regulatory demand and also some business needs around omnichannel and giving consumers better visibility of where their food came from. I just wonder as as well, and I mean, you know, that, that's the food safety traceability um, piece, Steve, but, you know, could could you then, we touched on it a little bit earlier, could, could you transfer that over into the carbon footprint of a, a batch of cucumbers or lettuce? Could it extend to other sustainability attributes as well? Yes. Um, there's... Um... Uh, you know, where there's a general desire, I think, by many people to um, to reduce the carbon footprint. Uh, but our current cadence of measurement is an annual one. Uh, if you or I had some horrible cancer diagnosis and we went to the doctor uh, and the doctor said, oh, this is really bad, I'll see you in a year, uh, we'd be like, what? <laughs> I'd, I'd like regular checkups. Let's right. get on top of this thing. Uh, yet, you know, I live in Southern California. When I moved in, there was a wildfire that that burnt our neighbors' houses down. Uh, so, you know, to say, oh, well, we're going to do a check on, you know, let's make a commitment on carbon reduction for twenty years' time, and we'll check in once a year. You know, this is doesn't pass the sniff test in terms yeah. of making having a level of urgency uh, and and measurement. So. We, we really believe that real-time carbon footprint measurement is the way to go. The same traceability infrastructure for FISMA can give you that item-level carbon footprint measurement. If you can measure that cucumber uh, and say, oh, it's been sitting in the back of the supermarket in, uh, in, uh, in the car park in a refrigerated uh, container with a diesel motor running, the carbon footprint of that cu cucumber is significantly higher than one that went straight into the... Uh, uh, the coolers in the uh, in the store, and the ability to start to give um, enterprises real-time visibility of that carbon so that the store manager, the logistics manager, the product manager can see it and and use it as an operating metric to, you know, carbon is cost. So this is not philanthropy. If you can reduce your carbon footprint, hold accountable and and, and empower everyone in the business to start reducing carbon. 
then I think we can really make a lot a lot faster progress. Uh, and it's not going to be a tax. This is going to be a measure of efficiency and effectiveness and quality. So carbon is a cost. Uh, and I think it's going to be the next quality metric that we, we use. Uh, and having item level traceability is the way that you start to make the calculations that uh, this cucumber has got a lower carbon footprint than that cucumber. And ultimately, this can be exposed to the consumer, especially with ambient IoT. You know, you could have an app that the consumer can can use to see not just you know the theoretical carbon footprint, but uh, you know they can put their buying power behind the the purchase of of products that are uh, gonna you know steer us in the right course faster. I, I want to talk a little bit um, next or in a moment, um, Steve, about how that that could lead to food companies, you know, reimagining themselves. I mean, you, that, 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 there's a, I think some of your words rather than, than mine, just b- before we get there and and move off of the topic that we're on. It, it, I mean, we've talked about cucumbers and, and cheese being part of the categories of products that, that will be touched by this, but could you see it? Is there a way to do that for the commodities? And I'm talking really grain here. Um, that obviously are going into, um, you know, finished goods that end up on the supermarket shelf. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I think uh, all of these um, products that are shipped, uh, even especially if they're shipped in reusable containers, um, you can apply these sensors uh, to to barrels, to uh, totes. Um, and so this visibility doesn't just have to be on uh, on cases and uh, and primary packaging. It can be on the kind of bulk shipping containers, um, and um, so uh, it can absolutely be uh, for for those uh, raw materials. And I think um, you know what is going to happen is uh, we'll we'll just get much better visibility of the supply chains when we do this. At the moment. Um, our supply chains, to use a metaphor, it's like we've been operating in the dark and we all have torches or flashlights, as we say over here in the States, and they've got limited batteries. So we turn them on and off and we get a little bit of visibility of where things are. What we're talking about with this new world of ambient Internet of Things uh, technology is turning the lights on. So you see everything all of the time. And when you do that and you start to share information up and down the supply chain and the producer of those raw materials, the grain and so forth, they can actually see where it is in the supply chain. Then they can start to you know, regulate their own uh, production and shipping and distribution uh, and basically optimize um, you know, their, their own business based on knowing what's happening up uh, the supply chain, which is uh, up until now been, you know, opaque. It's not been visible. And uh, when we turn the lights on and you can see the whole supply chain in real time and everyone's sharing the data, which you can do with this technology, then uh, I think the improvements that we'll get in quality and safety uh, and cost reduction will be really significant. Thanks for, for for taking that on. I mean, you can imagine, I think certainly from, from the European perspective, traceability, you know, particularly in supply chains that, that go across oceans. Uh, I'm thinking particularly of, you know, perhaps more, more controversial debates about, you know, use of GM technology and production processes and so forth. You can see how uh, the advent of this kind of technology, and as you said, turning the lights on the whole supply chain um, will be of, um, of particular interest. 
you talk you've talked about how that that can lead to a reimagination if you like of the of of the food companies the agri food companies if this really takes off how, how do you think the industry will look in 10 years time or, or maybe longer well you know i think in 10 years time this will have turned the lights on in the production side um so uh you know it, it will uh, give visibility into you know what's happening happening in farms uh products sitting in a packing shed for too long uh, that can be alerted immediately you know the, the the first in first out is actually turned into a last in first out so i think there'll be optimization there uh, i think um shopping will be different the kind of theft and uh, so forth that loss prevention will be different because with everything connected you know your if you have your payment credentials online and you take something from the store now that's really all that's required to buy it so um so theft becomes different if you you know if if you happen to have uh uh 12 cases of uh, uh of some um valuable product in your home um then and you haven't paid for them um then that will be visible in 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 real time and i think um the commerce model will change uh, so um you know we, we, some of us have played with the amazon dash button you you ran out of coffee you pressed a button you got it delivered i think the packaging of these products will become uh the amazon dash button they'll uh, the the cornflakes uh the flour container uh the, the the cinnamon and the pepper containers they'll they'll all be online they'll be measuring freshness uh they'll be um showing where you've got product that's missing um you, they'll be showing product that's expired and so you'll be able to subscribe to your pantry you know, the different categories uh, uh you can have them directly shipped to you um and you know those demand signals your consumption of the product which is currently not visible uh, if you choose to share it and it will be a choice uh, uh, the privacy laws don't go away they still apply um but if you choose to sh um, share that and you want the subscription service to a, a fully populated herbs and spices cabinet and you never want to run out, that information uh, can instrument the whole of the supply chain and that information can flow back to the producers. So I think um, uh, th there's a lot of really interesting implications in terms of the, the way supply chains are instrumented and the information is shared. There's things that we need to work out. How do you opt out of this? Uh, how do you opt in out of it in a, in a way that's simple and everyone can, uh, can do? So there's work to be done, uh, but I think uh, profit, people and planet can all be aligned uh, as in, in this new uh, era where um, you know, we, we open the portal between the power of AI and chat GPT and the physical things that we use on a day-to-day -day basis. Almost out of time, Steve. Been fascinating um, discussion. What one more question, if 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 I may? Which, from what you said, I mean, the the technology could could run ahead here, run ahead of even the regulatory imperative, which is is where we started with um, Food Safety Modernization Act. Um, I just wonder if you if you do think that that the the technology will run in front and open up possibilities where actually the supply chains are reinventing themselves in front of a regulatory approach. Um, so that, that that's one question. Maybe the, the subset of that question also, from an EU perspective, is, is do you think that there should be, would need to be 
a common approach globally, or at least between the EU and the US, about how we begin to deploy this technology from a regulatory perspective? I think there's already a lot of regular regular uh, regulation that will drive this. Uh, in some cases, then adoption is ahead of regulation. In other areas, um, you know, regulation is driving it. I think the food freshness and safety is where regulation is the catalyst. But you know, we already have customers that range from postal services to uh, uh, large online retailers that that see the benefit of tracking and. And, and knowing where their assets are in ways that just haven't been practical in the past. So I think it'll be a patchwork. Uh, there'll be certain set segments um, where, uh, you know, the, the requirement to prove provenance um, uh, and uh, the requirement for food safety, uh, that, that's always been something that people wanted to do, but, you know, were concerned about uh, overreaching and overextending themselves. So I, I do think that... Um, regulation will be the driver around food safety based on my personal experience of seeing people wanting to comply but just not being able to uh, align all of the the stakeholders in their organization so i i think you know um reasonable regulations uh, are are a good thing and you know there's going to be need to be new standards around this uh, for sure but i think we've got the the basic building blocks of what we need to start now well, Steve, it's been absolutely fascinating and incredibly rich um, discussion. Uh, I'm very grateful for you joining us on on the Food Systems Podcast um, and talking about this subject. As I say, it it resonates, um, I'm sure, here in Europe with our listeners, you know, particularly in terms of our concentration on the on the subject. So, thanks very much indeed for for taking time and being with us today, Mark. It's been a real pleasure. Great questions, and thanks for doing your bit to. You know, educate people and, uh, and and share the information that's a big part of this uh, change. Well, thanks again, Steve. Well, you've been listening to another edition of the Food Systems Podcast brought to you by the Forum for the Future of Agriculture. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. And we'll see you again next time. Thank you. Mm-hmm.